OMG war das mit Pandora's Box. Hey Mario, dieses Studio ist zu klein für uns beide. Das war das. Wir haben Mario natürlich nicht wirklich erschossen. Nein, wir haben ihn erhängt. <lacht> Punkt 2 Uhr 104.6 RTL. Hier ist Stefan auf Jurowski. Ich starte jetzt die nächste Stunde mit den größten Hits der 70er, 80er und 90er. Das ist alles bei Berlins neuem Sender für Musik. Und Mario lebt noch. Keine Angst. Keine Angst. Ding dong, you're not wrong. Oh, hello, I didn't see you there. <laughs> I was just sitting there on my deck chair enjoying uh, enjoying watching a little bit of Morris dancing. The deck chair is straining, I say straining at the gusset. And uh, there I am just lolloping around on a lovely St. George's Day. And it's uh, lovely to be here. No, uh, no excess cream horn down the chin as of yet. Uh, but lots of men in very, very tight sort of jodpa-like things, uh, with bells on their toes and fingers, dancing around a pole very jovially today. It's lovely to be here. It really is a beautiful day of spring. The daffs are out. The flowers are frolicking. It's absolutely beautiful. The crocuses are chirping. We're all here. We're as happy as can be. All good friends and jolly good company. As I said, it's St. George's Day, the 23rd of April. And it's Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese. I think it's episode 184. But uh, you'll have to go back and check the records on that one. I'm not entirely sure. It's what it's, I don't think it's 183. And it's not 185. I think it's 184. But again, you're going to have to hold me uh, honest on that one. And uh, just uh, yeah, just got out of the got out of the shower. And, and now just lolloping around in the, in the deck chair here. And as I said on a previous podcast... If you're getting your deck chairs out of the garage after a long winter, you really need to check. Uh, check to see if they can still hold the strain, so to speak, because they sort of perish a little bit over that canvas, perishes over the years. And when you put your bulk down, especially if you've had a heavy winter, so to speak, uh, you could uh, you could. You could fall on your lollop down on your bottom if you're not careful. So just double check, uh, double check the strength of the canvas, the integrity of the canvas before you uh, plop yourself down. Are you a plopper or not? I'm double socking today as well. A couple of my, we spoke of this on a previous podcast, a couple of my pairs of socks have perished sort of at the ball of the foot region. I thought, you know what, I'm, I need to buy some new socks here. But I got the uh, Dinosaur Specials, uh, that is Tyrannosaurus Rex with a Santa's hat on, underneath uh, underneath very thick sock. Because I am going to hit the links again today and try my hand at golf yet again. And you know one thing, I, I used to be absolutely addicted to golf. I mean, uh, my, my father and I uh, played all the time. Uh, and, and Dad did like uh, golf so much, he became so addicted to it, he actually created a little green, a uh, couple of bunkers uh, for practice. I mean, that's how obsessed you were. And now, now the old fella doesn't even play golf anymore. Anyway, a very, very happy birthday to him. Uh, it's, uh, it's coming up on Monday. And a very happy birthday to the dear boy. Very happy birthday to my dear nephew, Harry Geraldo. A very happy birthday uh, to you as well, my dear boy. And I hope that my uh, dear nephew, little Sam, he was on the monkey bars. I mean, he's going to be a gymnast. There's no doubt about this, but he's broken his arm, poor chap. 
So uh, best uh, best wishes to him. Hope uh, hope everything heals very very quickly. So here we are back behind the microphone again. I mean it's it's tough when you're on a deck chair that's straining a little bit uh, to 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 reach up high to the microphone that's quite straight. It's fairly erect. And I can't quite get to it. So if, if I'm if I sound like I'm uh, in the doldrums a little bit today, you'll know that I'm actually sitting on this uh, red and white striped deck chair, probably a Victorian. Um, they probably had a, several Victorian bathing suits. That's why the canvas is beginning to perish uh, over the years. I haven't quite slipped on the uh, Victorian bathing suit yet, uh, but I very much intend to. Uh, once the once the weather gets a bit warmer, it was very 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 warm on Friday, but we're back down to a much more temperate and seasonal 60 degrees today. Uh, and lovely to have you here. Hope you're enjoying St George's Day. Hope you're going to a nice little fete, enjoying some of those rather eccentric traditions that we'll be talking about today. Uh, it should really be a public holiday. Um, I, I, I truly believe that anybody who slays a dragon should get a holiday. And when you're having lots of lovely little little pies and puffs and little delicious, delicious cake, I really felt like my grandmother's very orange drizzle cake. That that really would hit the spot. A slice of that and a nice cup of tea would uh, would set me right for the rest of the day, I think. So yesterday on the podcast, we did discuss uh, how the next generation will not be loving the gravy it's a lost art making a delicious onion brown gravy and nobody likes it anymore nobody likes things saucy anymore so i don't know what's going on with the uh, modern generation also waterproof socks do they exist or not nothing worse than wet feet also people are a little bit over familiar seems to be a common trait here in the u.s sometimes but there are people who can get away with calling everybody friends who have that uh, have that insincerity here um, but coming along the way are you a fondant fancy freak now mr kipling's fondant fancies used to be a favorite and i imagine a lot of you have the fondant fancies plated for st george's day are you pink do you prefer the brown do you prefer the yellow a little bit of lemon going on there a little bit of little little motif of lemon there um, also in the week I had a, a piece of stuffing stuck in my throat here. Yes, that's not a euphemism. Uh, also the delicious delight of uh, Smarty Mini Eggs. Also, if you measure the bone in the hand of a fetus, it can tell you how tall you are going to be. Are any Tories of the tractors is Rupert. Uh, I'm also, I always are wearing too many clothes. Which pop rock singer would you want to save your life? And David Attenborough narrating odd things. I think he needs to start narrating some different things. Uh, also, the biker who likes to stop to have a little bit of a wee spliff. Uh, also, um, slip catching, catching practice that I had. Uh, I had some slip catching patch practice uh, yesterday. As I opened up the freezer door, uh, unassumedly, uh, I, I did... I was practicing is almost like April, uh, April at uh, the Cambridge University cricket ground. It's like some little bit of light slip catching practice, and then obviously you get the chill blains as well. Um, but wanted to well, that's some of the things that we're going to have that we may or may not be talking about today on your highly esteemed podcast. But here we go. If you're having a break, if you if you've just got up and you want to get your brain going. After, after a little bit of lolloping, and there's, again, there's nothing wrong with lolloping on the uh, deck chair today. 
Uh, hopefully the sun's out. Hopefully the guns are not out. Uh, I really would want to see that. But think about this. The color of your underwear plus the last thing you ate is your band name. The color of your underwear and the last thing that, uh, that you ate is the name of your band. So mine is Faded Black Burrito. So, St. George's Day, the 23rd of April, from Flying the Flag to Morris Dancing and Punch and Judy, every year people hang up their flags and celebrate the patron saint of England, St. George. Fabled for having slain the dragon, St. George's Day is celebrated with traditions and festivities that date back centuries. So, who was St. George? St. George is England's patron saint, famed for how he slayed the dragon. This well-known story mainly comes down to the Golden Legend, a popular collection of saints' lives written in the 13th century. Despite his English connections, George would likely have been a soldier somewhere in the Eastern Roman Empire, probably which is now Turkey, if it ever existed. He's the patron saint of Ethiopia, Georgia and Portugal, and cities such as Freiburg, Moscow and Beirut. Uh, according to one version of the tale, a town in Libya had a small lake inhabited by a dragon who was infected with the plague. Many of the townsfolks were being killed by the dragon, so they started feeding on it two sheep a day to appease it. And uh, that is how uh, George and the dragon became to be. The feast day of St. George is celebrated by various Christian churches in several countries and cities where St. George is a patron saint. The day is the 23rd of April each year. This date traditionally accepted on his death in AD 303. While St. Patrick's Day and St. Andrew's Day are bank holidays in Ireland and Scotland respectively, St. George's Day is sadly not a bank holiday. Really, really should be. So what are the St. George's Day traditions. In the past, the traditional custom on St. George's Day was to wear a red rose in your lapel, but not many people practice this anymore. More popular customs include flying the St. George's cross flag with the English pubs often festooned with them in cathedrals, churches and chapels. St. George's Day is commonly sung for the hymn Jerusalem. We celebrate the day with anything involving uh, English traditions, including Morris dancing and fates. The old Punch and Judy show can also be seen and as a town crier contest. Many places across England are a host to a feast with traditional fare and some areas holding theatre events, jousting and indeed reenactments. Grandmother loved giving us some fondant fancies when we were a child. I think my mother did as well. So the fondant fancies or French fancies they originally dubbed were invented in the 20th century. They were introduced in 1967 as part of the first 20 baked goods created and sold at brand new supermarkets by Mr. Kipling Corporation. They're sort of a cheap mass-produced petit four with a sponge cake base of a veggie oil faux buttercream and then draped in a fondant. Like most mass-produced cakes, they come in snack packs for individual servings. The homemade versions are dubbed fondant fancies and French fancies are indeed the trademark name. Mr. Kipling himself has blamed Brexit as boxes of cakes shrunk ahead of price rises. Box size of Mr. Kipling's cake slices ranged and changed from nine to eight cakes in a packet. What an anathema. Move follows warnings by parent company Premier Foods that prices would rise. Price of food imports have risen sharply since Brexit after the pound uh, prices decline. Premier Foods, which owns Mr. Kipling, has also announced his intention to raise prices, including other English brands. Oxo stock cubes expected to buy, uh, rise by a single digit mark. The change to the smaller eight cake box will affect chocolate 
Angel Lemon and Caramel Slices, other changes to Mr. Kipling's including removing four cake slice boxes for its classic six cake box will remain unchanged. I mean, I think I really got a fancy for either the pink fondant fancy or the, uh, or the yellow drizzle, uh, the lemon drizzle uh, fondant fancy. That'd be absolutely delicious now. So I had the situation in the week where I was tucking into an absolutely delicious roast chicken. Probably a three or four pound bird. And I put it in the air fryer. I rubbed just a little bit of oil, salt and pepper on it. And it was basically cooked in about 35 minutes. Lovely crispy skin. Now that's one thing I've missed over the years. I know all these contraptions can cook chicken, but they do not get that skin crispy. I mean, I would just have uh, chicken skins crispy as an appetizer, as a starter on an occasion. I'd love that. But the chicken was absolutely beautiful. Made myself some stuffing as well. A little box stuffing, a little bit of the Paxo stuff type of thing here. Um, but uh, it, was, it was rather nice. And uh, a little bit hard in some places, though. So we had the, had the stuffing here. And I was like, basically, voracious appetite as always. Really uh, chowing down on this stuffing and chicken. Absolutely delicious, moist piece of chicken. And then I got a bit of stuffing stuck in my throat. Uh, and I don't know if it went down the wrong pipe, it was in the esophagus or whatever it was. Oh, I mean, I tried sort of all sorts of things. I, knew, I know I got a spider out of my ear once with some olive oil. So I tried a little bit of shot of olive oil. I tried my go-to, uh, which is the apple cider vinegar. But it was at the back there. I had a hard bit of stuffing encased in the back of my throat. And I don't think I'd have been able to do the podcast uh, in that state. It was lucky it was early in the week, really. I tried gargling with salt. And the thing that eventually removed it or dissolved it was my old friend, the Alka-Seltzer. I talked about this a few weeks ago. The Alka-Seltzer is, is a savior. For some reason, if I have it in the middle of the night, if I have a bit of an upset tummy or something, it sends me to sleep in no time. But it also dissolves huge pieces of stuffing that your dear host decided to wolf down uh, rather than chewing it 32 times, as my grandmother used to say. I was reading this in the week that you could actually measure one of the bones in the hands of a fetus and it would give you some idea of what sort of height that the baby would eventually be as a grown adult, obviously. But also, when I was looking at this, I was thinking, well, I don't know if this sounds particularly accurate, but apparently, for a boy height predictor, you just add five inches to the mother's height and keep the father's height constant. For example, a boy born to a mother who's five foot three and a father who's six foot two will grow between five foot eight to six foot two. The girl height predictor, though, subtract five inches from the father's height and keep the mother's height constant. The daughter of the couple would grow to between five foot three and five foot nine. And then, obviously, as, my, as the butler of mine worked very, very curious about this, started looking up uh, regarding the uh, fetus hand measurement, then I realized that a fetus in the UK is spelt differently to in the US. The spelling of fetus has no etymological basis, is recorded in the 16th century and until recently was a standard British spelling in both technical and non-technical use. In technical uses, fetus is now the standard spelling. That's with an E throughout the English-speaking world. But amongst monks, most people, the fetus is spelt with an O. The discrepancy in the uh, 
English English spellings and the American English spellings. Those who follow me on Twitter, uh, at Keep Cheese, and also Keep Calm Cauliflower Cheese on Instagram, will know that I had a little bit of a little bit of a flutter, a little bit of a little bit of a rage when it came to. I wanted to watch a James Bond film late yesterday afternoon, and they're meant to be all of them free to stream on Amazon Prime. I think, except Never Say Never Again. I think that's the only one that you can't stream. And everybody's on Twitter talking about uh, settling down for a bomb marathon this weekend. And I've only got two bomb movies, GoldenEye and Skyfall, available to stream for free. So I wanted to reach out to Jeff Bezos and basically say, Bezos, Bezos, what are you doing, Bezos? Where's Bond? I want to watch Bond. I want to be shaken or stirred this weekend, Bezos. I'm going to self-destruct in two minutes. My patience is, uh, my patience is expiring, Bezos. I mean, that's what I wanted to say to him. I wanted to say, come on, Jeff, where's my James Bond movies? I want to be watching them this weekend. I want to settle down and have a Bond marathon. So we're basically now live as we as we speak here on the podcast. I'm just going to see, has my message reached Jeff Bezos? If I go onto my Amazon Prime, Amazon Prime site, do I now have Bond do I have as much Bond as I'd want? Am I going to be over-bonded here? Bond movies on Prime. No, Dr. Newt. No, I still have to pay for Spectre of you to a kill. You only have it twice. All of these I need to I need to have to pay for. So what? Tell me what's going on, Bezos. Bezos, I want to introduce you to Blofaust. Celebrating St. George's Day on the podcast here, there's nothing more quintessentially English than Morris dancing, a folk tradition that stretches back hundreds of years where men dressed in white wave handkerchiefs, hopefully they don't have any bogeys on them, or they have a nice boil wash before they start waving their handkerchiefs around. I know my father does love to wave a handkerchief around, maybe two at a time. Uh, they tap their sticks together, and that isn't a euphemism, and dance around with bells on their knees. It's a jolly spectacle, perhaps best enjoyed on a fair summer's day with a pint or something cold in hand. Lovely pims, maybe. Early appearance of pims before the summer. The period after World War II saw a renaissance for the heritage customs in England, and by the 1960s, Morris dancing's popularity reached its 20th century peak. It's very much... Uh, still a uh, men-only activity, though, back in the day. Uh, but it's uh, very much and has changed recently. The boss, uh, Boss's Morris Group is one of the England's most prominent all-female Morris dance troops. They specialize in the Cotswold Morris style of dance, but infuse their performance with striking costumes, vibrant makeup, bold colors, and a modern dance, too. Traditionally, it's a men's dance with all sorts of true folk traditions. It's got many roots, and nobody's completely sure where it comes from. But uh, it's what the men have been doing for many, many years, many centuries. Lily Cheatham, one of the boss Morris dancers, says, We still have hankies and we still have bells and we have a lot of dancers are still very much a traditional nature. But we do have very much a contemporary spin and our costumes are very different from gig to gig, but we try to keep it a little bit left field and keep people guessing. It's only relatively recently that women dancers have even been accepted for entry into Morris dancing government bodies in England. I didn't realise you had to be a part of a part of a government body to be a Morris dancer. Last time we checked, I think more women were joining Morris dancing than men. So there's a misconception now that we've been doing it on our own and this is what we do. 
even where we live in Gloucester and Stroud, there's another female group and a mixed group as well. You have to be careful where you're tapping your sticks though, ladies, be careful. I mean, it might be perfect if you've got like an enemy in the men's crowd here. You could stack, you know, get tap your stick rather hard on somebody, couldn't you? Boss Morris was set up in 2015 by two sisters in Southwest England, recently returned from their studies in London and convinced a number of friends to take part. It's grown from there in an organic and collaborative way. In terms of Morris dancing groups, some of the traditional sides, the name of the troop dancers have been going forever and we're still relatively new, but we packed a lot into that time. The group before at festivals and other events and run workshops for beginners to learn about the traditional dance. There is evidence to suggest that the Morris dancing was a royal court dance, a real flamboyant dance where lots of spangly costumes occurred so it would be seen in that capacity. Over the years it's amalgamated and there's lots of different threads that have come down in tradition from different aspects. Although we're more likely to see Morris dancers from springtime right through to harvest, they also perform on the winter solstice where the white handkerchiefs were said to keep evil spirits away even during the darkest days of winter. It also has an association with the British fate, but we do dance all year round. We've made our own calendar, so we tie in a lot of seasonal festivals and have made up our own traditions along the way. I do have a concern though, these, some of these men like trying to squeeze into these job jobbers after a heavy a heavy winter's indulgence, maybe one or too many Christmas puddings. I mean, you don't really want to see a jodper splitting when you're tapping your sticks together, do you? Okay, so I want to give you a little bit of flavor of the Morris dancing. This is the best of English Morris folk dancing. This was uh, filmed in 2020. I'm going to give you the audio, obviously, but these gentlemen have blue socks they have uh, red and yellow handkerchiefs and very, very garish looking uh, floral hats as well. Uh, pristine white shirts look like they've been pressed and very well starched here. So let's just hear a little bit of this. Here. So you can get a little bit of the flavor, a little bit of the atmosphere. So they're very synchronized here. The knees are, knees are very, very high up here, like knees almost up to the chest here. Very fit individuals here. None of them are rather rotund. One's standing in the middle, and the others are circling around that chap here. And now they're there just jigging away here, very much in tandem, very much synchronized, very much in, uh, in good order. Oh, and somebody did a high kick there, clicked the heels together. A little bit of a red bus uh, appearing uh, from the background here, London bus. And here they go, back to back. Uh, knees are very, very high again as they uh, tap their sticks together very wholeheartedly. This was sent to me in the week, and it's quite interesting. And I, and I started wanting to read about Katie Weaver. Katie with a C, A-I-T-Y. From the New York Times. And she describes what it's like to live out of a converted camper van for a week. To suggest what the worst part of vacationing in a van is sleeping in a van is not fair to the other aspects of the endeavour, which is also all the worst part. If you are Morris dancing today and you need a quick tinkle, uh, be careful as you're vigorously shaking that stick because you might lose your phone down the toilet. A woman was rescued after falling into a vault toilet to retrieve a cell phone. Uh, firefighters from Brennan and Tilsine uh, came to the rescue of a woman who fell and got stuck into a vault toilet after attempting to retrieve her cell phone. This occurred at the top of Mount Walker near the north parking lot. Brennan rescuers said the woman in her late 40s was using the toilet when she dropped the phone inside. The woman 
reportedly tried to dismantle the toilet by taking off the seat and housing to get her phone. She used her dog leashes to help support her while she's trying to fish the phone out. But then they failed. She slid into the toilet head first, firefighters said. She then used her cell phone to call 911 after 20 minutes. At least it was waterproof, I suppose. Firefighters found her inside, assessed the situation, then made a tall makeshift cribbing platform, which passed that down, helping her to stand on, crews said. They then pulled her to safety. The woman told rescuers she was not injured. Uh, she did not want to be taken to hospital, officers said. The firefighters said she was washed down and giving a Trivex suit to wear. And then she was strongly encouraged to pursue medical attention after being exposed to human waste. I mean, it sounds like an absolute nightmare, doesn't it, really? Rescuers said the woman was extremely fortunate not to be overcome by toxic gases. I want to tell you a little bit of a joke and a yarn for St. George's Day here. One day a man walks into a bar and to his amazement he finds a tiny person playing a tiny piano. Stunned, the man asks the bartender where he got this amazing person. The bartender replied that inside the closet there is a genie who will grant him a single wish. The man dashed into the closet and uh, as the bartender said, there was a genie inside. Without hesitation, the man wished for a million bucks, but instead one million ducks instantly appeared. Infuriated, the man stormed to the bartender and screamed, I think your genie is hard of hearing. I asked for a million bucks and got a million ducks. The bartender shook his head and replied, You're telling me, do you think I really asked for a 12-inch pianist? Why China is using guard geese to uphold its zero COVID policy. Throughout history, territorial and often aggressive domestic geese have been deployed to keep watch over everything from Scotch whiskey to military installations. On China's border with Vietnam, a gaggle of around 500 geese stand guard, ready to honk or bite anybody who tries to enter illegally. Since October 2021, the Chinese government has deployed the so-called geese army across 300 miles of China's Kongzhou uh, precipice uh, in order to stop the coronavirus from entering China via illegal immigration. Chinese domestic geese need no training. Once they've established their territory, the five-pound birds defend it fiercely. Reinforcing the feathered garrison are about 500 mixed-breed guard dogs with the company that border police on patrol. Geese guards may be helping. In December 2021, a goose allegedly honked the alarm to catch two people illegally crossing the border. The uh, Chengzhou prefecture government did respond to the National Geographic's uh, request to confirm the event. Using geese to uphold pandemic policy may be new, but the practice is age-old. Domesticated geese originated at least 5,000 years ago, possibly even 16,000 years ago, would make them the second oldest domesticated animal uh, after dogs, according to a recent study. Historical records are rich with tales of geese battalions, including one gaggle credited with trumpeting the alert, saving Rome from a secret Gaul invasion in 300 190 BC. The goose is carefully watchful, witness the defense of the capital when the silence of the dogs would have betrayed nothing. Another gaggle known as the Scotch Watch patrolled 14 acres of warehouses protecting 300 million pounds worth of Scottish whiskey in Dumbeck, Scotland from 1959 until 2012. And in 1986, the US Army tried out 18 geese to safeguard radar and anti-geese installations in West Germany. The geese were so successful that the army constricted 900 more geese for service in the region. Indeed, geese may have the edge over canines, particularly when the birds are more selective over raising the alarm. Dogs can sound the alarm sometimes just for fun to talk together from dog to dog, but geese will do so if there's an intruder that goes into their special area. If you walk onto a geese's turf, they'll almost charge or honk you and use intimidation tactics versus running away like most birds. 
They also have keen senses. About 30 species of wild geese live on all continents except Antarctica. The most ground-nesting birds of excellent eyesight have evolved to uh, spot predators approaching from afar. When sleeping, geese can also leave one side of the brain awake and the eye connected to open it detects threats and rare phenomenon known as the unihemispheric slow-wave sleep. God, I would love that. They also are in control of the situation. Wild geese such as barnacle geese in northern Europe and Russia usually mark use of security geese on the edge of flocks to sound the alarm against the threats. The geese are so proficient at sensing danger that their ducks and cranes will sometimes feed among geese for security. So I have to say, I might be wrong about people, guys who wear the Hawaiian shirt. Andy Kuzneg, CEO of Just Answer, says that the Hawaiian shirt is the greatest work shirt. He talks about owning 300 Hawaiian shirts. It's enough to wear a different shirt nearly every day of the year, which I've done for most of my career, says Andy. I founded and sold multiple companies. Colleagues and mentors always uh, sometimes ask me to tone it down or change it up, but I can't. The shirts evoke the Hawaiian island spirit for me and creates the tranquility, balance, and positive energy that I need in the midst of hard work and difficult decisions. It's a balance I learned in Hawaii where I also discovered the value of hard work. I partially grew up on the islands and it's where I found my first job. I was hired to wash every car at a Honda dealership that thought it'd take me all summer to do, but indeed it took me one week. They gave me odd filing and admin jobs until they promoted me to serve representatives and then finally let me hand at selling the next summer. I sold so many cars in a month that it broke all records. That experience taught me something. Importance about myself. I am an intense worker, but too much intensity is not good. Hawaiians, uh, Hawaii's warm air and island vibe helped me bring out that intensity and into the presence of the moment. And that's where the work really gets done. Success isn't in the hustle, it's connecting with the person in front of you. I eventually moved away, but wanted to retain that sense of island calm. Once a day after returning from Hawaiian Island, I wore a Hawaiian shirt to my job and had another record-breaking sales day. I decided to continue to the tradition and have been doing so ever since. It's hard not to smile and feel just a little bit better when you see somebody in a Hawaiian shirt. Well, I've always felt the same way about kilts. And apparently, if you wear a kilt, it can put a little bit of a pep in indeed your step. Daily Record, the Scottish newspaper, has uh, unsurprisingly, I suppose, revealed that Scots have been voted the best lovers in the world. And, uh, you know, that's a little bit of air up the kilt does wonders for the amorous intentions. The poll of 2,000 Brits who admitted having a holiday romance found that those bedded a Scot were left with the biggest smiles on their faces and maybe an empty wallet too. The study found that folk from Scotland beat not just the English, Welsh and Irish, but also the French, Italians and Americans. Those quizzed whilst to rate their holiday flings. When they were visiting the country in question on a scale of 1 to 10, those gained top marks between 7 to 10 points as follows. 1. Scotland, 43%. 2. Italy, 41%. 3. France, 38%. 4. England, 37%. 5. Spain, uh, which is 35%. 6. Was America, 34 Portugal, 32 Ireland, 31 Sweden, 31 Wales, 30%. As Scotland topped the leaderboard with a score of 43%, Italy held on to second place. Wales came in at the rear. You don't never want to be at the rear. The educational worker, the Scots know how to charm the socks and everything else off, folks. 
Well, they don't wear any underpants anyway, do they? A uh, spokesman for the uh, Love Light Cover It, which conducted the poll, said the holiday things were part of the trip away, as well as the culture and the food. Just uh, don't try any love making after eating haggis. Tony Stubbington of Love It Cover It said, there's so much to enjoy being on holiday, whether it's a culture, food, new experience, or in this case, the people too. I don't know if anybody watched Anatomy of Scandal on Netflix. Anatomy of Scandal, here's a quick review. Cheesy drama that fails to engage with the tough subject matter. Creators of Big Little Lies, House of Cards, At the Helm, this is David E. Kelly, the Netflix limited uh, series, is part thriller, part courtroom drama. We begin the story in London with a happy married couple, Sophie and James Whitehouse, Sienna Miller, Rupert Friend. James is a member of Parliament and a close friend to the Prime Minister. Sophie supports him and cares for their two children. Their lives appear perfect until news breaks of an affair James had with a younger co-worker, Olivia Lytton. He tells Sophie that it's meant nothing and it indeed ended recently and it was a mistake. She's understandably upset but believes him so begins the attempts to apologise to the public and theoretically gets back to business as usual. The scandal also attempts to interrogate how James's privilege as a straight male politician affects his trial. All this really amounts to its characters throwing around the world word privilege a lot and Kate asking the jury to set aside their prior conceptions of James. The show doesn't pry much deeper than that. Instead, it chooses to elicit its main shock and awe, not from thoughtful consideration of difficult subjects, but from a series of flashbacks and un- unbelievable story pivots. The, despite all of this, anatomy of scandal is by no means completely unwatchable. The whole intrigue of a courtroom drama lies in whether the client is declared innocent or guilty. If nothing else, you'll see how James's trial ends. But all its squabbles over the top drama, borderline cheesy filmmaking, uh, anatomy of scandal most resembles a soap opera you'd watch in order to have something on in the background. But the ultra serious subject matter makes it impossible, mindless watch. The final viewing experience is. Uh, infuriating, frustrating, and ultimately unfulfilling. You'll either wish you'd either watched either of its creators earlier and better shows instead. I think that's a little bit unkind, but one thing I will say, and where this has become, this takes the part of reality to an extreme, and it really does. There are no Tory Conservative MPs or politicians or ministers who are as attractive as Rupert Friend. That takes it beyond the pale. So everybody knows my love of uh, cyclists, bikers, who uh, who cut me up as I'm walking the uh, hounds along the trail here. Always expect me to move onto the grass at a uh, cycle pass. This has been a theme, uh, a constant theme and vein running through this podcast for many a moon. But I have to say, I've got new respect for a, a certain cyclist who I have seen probably half a dozen times. And every time I see him, I've seen him approach the trail and stop and sit on the side of the trail. I've seen him. Uh, I've seen him resting, and I've seen him actually probably going at a more, maybe like a gentle vicar's pace when it comes to cycling. But most amusingly is when he's just sitting on the side, his bike's propped up, he's looking into the air. He's in another world, and he's smoking a huge spliff. Now he's blocking the trail a little bit for other cyclists, which sort of is amusing. But as he goes along his sort of daily pursuits, his daily exercise, he decides that it's probably best and a very relaxing uh, amount of time spent just 
sitting on the side smoking a huge spliff. I haven't seen him cycle the rest of the way, so I don't know if his journey's that much better after uh, imbibing that much marijuana, uh, or if it, you know he just needs that little bit of an edge taken off the day by sitting on the side, blocking some way, infuriating some very tense-up cyclists in their very, very tight lycra. And this is the whole thing as well. He's not, he, he, he's got very, very loose clothes on, so he's feeling the moment. He's very, very relaxed as he sits and looks into the distance, looks into the ether, and uh, you know, takes the weight of his feet for maybe five or 10 minutes whilst he, he smokes and is the only endeavor in the whole world is, uh, is enjoying the moment with that huge spliff. I also though that many of you think it's complete anathema to have pineapple on the pizza. But I saw this on uh, Instagram. Fermentish is the name of the Instagram site. And it's a, a big old jar of pineapples, basically. It's, we're scattered with some cloves here. And this is how they describe it. Lacto-fermented pineapple. A funky, salty, sweet, versatile little pickle. Mr. Fermentish and I are going to fire up uh, the Barbie this weekend and make what I'm hoping to be one of the greatest Hawaiian pizzas known to mankind. But there's more. I'm going to dice it into fried rice using that beautiful lacto-pineapple water to make some killer cocktails. And maybe after the cocktails, I'm going to eat whole slices of them with creamy cheese. And my final piece of advice for you on Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese today is the best way to keep your cornbread moist. If you ever bake cornbread and it's absolutely delicious with a chili con carne uh, for people out there. I mean, if you're in America, cornbread's a staple. Elsewhere in, in the world, probably not, but highly recommended. If you bake cornbread, chances are your first few pans aren't quite up to snuff. With batch after batch yielding similarly disappointing results, is often compared to science as changes to the ingredients process or timing often snowball into the ultimate kitchen nightmare scenario. In this case, dry cornbread. I mean, you don't want anything dry, do you want everyone, everything to be slightly moist or very moist if you can. It happens to the best of it. The flour's measured out right, your oven temperature perfectly calibrated, but alas, the cornbread fell apart before you could even cut into it, leaving something uh, more to the kin of mediocre corn croutons. Not crispy enough for satisfying crunch, yet far too dense and dry, crumbly mess. You can offset such a disaster even with box cornbread can yield unpalatable results. The culprit can be hard to pinpoint uh, with some one simple tip and little experimenting. You can make reliably moist cornbread every time. So... Here's a, this is a Southern Root shares a tip for elevating cornbread, adding one simple ingredient, one simple ingredient, sour cream. In addition to added moisture, sour cream brings a little fat and acid to your cornbread recipe. It's complementing the sweet and savory flavors. If you're uneasy about the addition, you can also add a few drops of vanilla to mellow it out. Those who want even more tangy flavor can replace the milk in the recipe with sour cream entirely. If you also find using sour cream makes your cornbread too dense, thin the batter out with a little bit of water. It all depends on your preference. And once you understand the basics, you can start experimenting and have moist cornbread for the entire recipes for the rest of your life. Pleasure having you here for the podcast today. Thank you for joining me. Keep calm and cauliflower cheese. So if you like the podcast, like and subscribe in all of the different areas you can. 
at Keep Cheese if you want to follow me on Twitter. Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese on Instagram. You can hear audio versions on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker Slacker, Pandora, iHeartRadio. You can listen on Audible, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, many, many different areas. As you add that splash or that dollop of sour cream and it creates the moistness in your cornbread, you can sometimes hear Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese emanating from the moisture. The podcast will always give you a dash of humidity, a little bit of moisture in your life. So if you haven't got any sour cream to get by, Butler Emporium Music Edition is on Spotify. If you like me chatting away, talking my various monologues, but if you want it cut up, sliced and diced between some fabulous music, then the Butler Emporium Musical Edition of Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese is what for you. We have some cherished Madonna. We have some Noel Coward. We have a little bit of hot fun in the summertime, Sly. We have some Pulp Babies. We have some Carly Simon. We have some David Bowie. We have some Tom Robinson Band. We have some Billy Joel. Uh, we also have some Snoop Dogg as well and some fruity additions at the end before you go sailing away with some Yacht Rock. Up next, we have a St. George's Day poem. This is By George by Paul Freeman. By George, St. George, you really are a slouch. Arise, pick up your lance, askew the couch. Like Patrick, Andrew, David, fill our breasts with pride, and we shall wear upon our chest your colours, background white, a crimson cross, since all of you saints, your England saintly boss. All hail that day you struck the dragon dead, and rescued damsel gave its head. With meat and ale each year we hold a feast to mark St. George's slaying of the beast, crying Rourke Drift, 1966 The Rock, to fish and chip shops, pubs, maypoles flock. Forget all your dull engagements, join our herd of Anglophiles on April 23rd, for English folk have found the saint they seek, no matter that fellow was a Greek. I will be back for another edition of the podcast next week. But hope you have a smashing week. Here the temperature, the mercury is rising again. So I may have to get the pegs out with the shorts uh, this coming week. But whatever you're doing, have fun, be safe. And I'll see you again next time. Cheerio.